Hello and welcome to Chronic Correlations with your host Fiona and Danny. Please note our podcast is for information only and to please seek the correct medical advice from your registered medical professional. And me and Danny are back doing more podcasts and today we have a very special guest and we'd like to introduce Lauren and how are you Lauren? I'm well, how are you guys doing? It's really hot here. I don't know if Danny's told you, but like the temperature is going up to like 30 degrees, 32 degrees Sunday. So you can imagine it's been like pretty crazy when it comes to temperature. And um, yeah, how's it with you? How you're feeling? It's it's quite the opposite here. It's it's quite pleasant and spring like, but we're hitting um, fires from Canada in New York, and everyone's sort of. Staying in place today, told to shut their windows, and there's never been like a recorded weather of this sort in New York in my lifetime, and I'm 60, so it's remarkable. It's the color of a sepia tone outside. It's sort of an wow. orange yellow. Yeah, it's not pretty though. And that's the thing. It's amazing how climate change and things like that has completely changed environments. We've seen things that you know, generations have never seen, you know? No, it's, it's, and it just, you see it. And the first thing you think is we've broken the planet. I mean, this, it's, it's very Armageddon looking. And the more we see of things like this, the more you see how climate control and what we've done um, has affected the planet. I mean, I think ultimately (laughs) we'll go away and the planet will rejuvenate because we're what's doing it. So, um, you know, it's just a matter of leaving it good for the people that are here for as long as we're here. No, totally, right? Yeah, air quality at the moment then is quite poor in, in the areas. Uh, very, very, very bad. Oh, yeah. goodness. And for so, me, that's just another reason to, you know, not go out because I get bronchitis and I get all kinds of wheezy stuff. So I tend to err on the safe side anyway. Yeah. So, moving, so moving on to yourself there, Lauren, Lauren, I think I'm actually really interested in your type of EGS journey because one, you were diagnosed late and two, I just think you've got a fascinating background. Um, yeah. So can you tell us a bit more for our listeners a bit about yourself? Sure. I don't know what you find fascinating. <laughs> but, but, you are uh, fascinating. I assure you. Thank you. Gosh. Um, I basically just I, I grew up in, in Manhattan in New York and I was uh, born and raised here, which is unusual as it is. And I grew up in a theater family and was one of those kids that was always falling and twisting my ankles in, turning them in. And I was always uh, having trouble in gym and having trouble in even though I was in ballet at a very young age had to be pulled out because something was up with the way my body held itself and I'm also quite tall I'm I'm well I was uh six almost six feet tall but I seem to be shrinking as I get older and um so although my I've had several joint replacements which have sort of replaced the the shrinkage a little bit so um I just was constantly being pulled out of things and constantly tired and had stomach issues and all these things that go on. I mean, they they ruled my life on one hand and they didn't on the other. I mean, I, you know, I was in school, normal schools and, and went to a wonderful uh, 
art high school that was probably one of the best experiences I ever had in school. And then college, you know, I don't think college is for everyone. I tried it and I went and I got lots of things out of it, mostly good friends. I find that most of the worst situations in my life have lended to the best friends I've ever made. Um, I've made friends where I'm most miserable, most ill. um, And I found that that's when human beings seem to come together in my world. Um, But it was difficult for my family because I was always um, tired. I was always having some kind of stomach issue. And we'd go from doctor to doctor to doctor. And my family is a theater family. So their whole world was traveling and weird hours and me being very much independent um, as an only child. And my parents had been divorced when I was just about three years old. So it was a very different grown up world for me. And I learned to sort of stay in the corner and read a book and be quiet, but I would get sick all the time. And so of course my mother, you know, had these feelings and a lot of it was psychologically a way to get attention from her. And so when I would fall and break something or twist something, or my stomach would have me miss more school, or, you know, I'd come up with another respiratory thing. And yet a doctor would look at me and a series of doctors, and they would keep testing and testing and saying nothing was wrong with me. Or there was possibly this, and all they needed to do was more testing. And of course, that just led to more and more people feeling like I was or making myself feel like I was a disappointment in what I was able to really achieve. And I ended up becoming a pastry chef, a baker, because it it gave me a purpose of giving back and feeling like um, I could spread the love and the energy that I could put out there um, to other people. And feeding people is like my way of loving people, I suppose, because it's just, you know, so obvious a connection. And um, so I baked for a lot of great people worked for a lot of great restaurateurs and my body basically said that's not something you can do anymore and I ended up having um, a knee problem that was so bad that my doctor finally granted me permission to have an MRI and the MRI came back of the tips of my uh, hips in it and they had both been totally collapsed there were no femoral heads there was nothing there and they diagnosed me with something called a vascular necrosis, which is uh, bone death. And mm-hmm. it has since spread through my body. And I've had five different joints, both hips, both knees replaced. I just had my most recent knee done in February. And I had a pain management doctor after pain management doctor who put me on more and more opioids. And I weaned myself off them. And then I was put back on them and different things and tried. Nothing worked. Physical therapy was a disaster because it made me even more in pain. And again, people were saying, you know, what's wrong with you? What What is, you know, causing this? Because it was idiopathic, my uh, vascular necrosis. And... One day, out of nowhere, my pain management doctor, who I currently have, who is the best. I mean, he listened to me for two hours tell my life story when I first met him. No one had ever listened to the whole thing before. And he said, have you ever heard of something called Ehlers-Danlos? And I said, no. And we started to work on... I'm not sure if it's the Brayton scale that's pronounced correctly, but she, he showed me a series of different tests, physical tests, and said, can we you know, see which ones you can do? And I was able to do all of them. 
and some more and some less because I've had things replaced, but I'm the one that did all the party tricks and was always bendy and my can scratch anywhere on my back and my feet do all these weird things. And so he sort of put it together for me. And as more, more and more research that I did on my own, I said, this sounds like we've hit on something really, really close to it. Because at one point they had said I had MS and I was actually mm -hmm. relieved because at least it was a diagnosis. And I was 58. I'm 60 now. And I was 58 when I had my genetic testing done. And there was a doctor, a geneticist who works with children, but made an exception for me because, again, he was so thrilled to hear about Ehlers and get more. Everybody has always said to me when they've heard about it, oh, I want to hear about this. I've been hearing and I don't know anything about it. And you can show me stuff and you can teach me stuff. And so I've become by proxy sort of a, a person of like information for my doctors, which, you know, if you have Elliot's, you're pretty familiar with that, I think, anyway. Um, so at 60, I was told that even though HEDS wasn't able to be, um, you know, given as a, mar in a marker, that it was, you know, definitely a connective tissue disease and that there was all of the markers for me to be in that line and all of the situation. And since there wasn't any treatment per se, to use those guidelines as long as <clears throat> I was going forward. So since then, that's what I've been doing. And in the meantime, I've turned my world to um, my art, which I had started out with in high school and before. And now I do illustrations and I'm online and all over the place as Bionic Lauren. And I not only draw my life and my isolation and my, you know, uh, inner thoughts as a person with a chronic illness, but I hope to, you know, sort of spread information to other people at the same time that, you know, the, there are millions of things we can be diagnosed with, but that little word is the most important word that I think I've ever had in my life, which was, you're not crazy. You're, and crazy is the wrong word, but like, it's not you, it's what you have. You're not making this up. You're not lazy. You're not um, just less than people expected you to turn out to be. And when you start to look back on your life, I think you start to think of your worth. And I'm a mom, I'm, I'm an artist, I'm a wife, I've got great family, I've got wonderful friends and support. But my worth tripled in my own eyes when I knew I wasn't alone in my fears and my diagnosis and my symptoms and my falling and my stomach and my breathing and all of those things. So it was almost like I, I can't stress how important it is for people. And for me to wait until I was almost 60 to get it. It, it meant even more to me because it made my life thus far better for the future, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's mean, a, when you get validation, validation is, is it, it, it makes you realize in your own head that you haven't been going mad because, as you said, you've been going back and forth to doctors for years who keep saying, there's nothing wrong with you. You yeah. can't find anything wrong. And then you're thinking, but there is something wrong with me. Why yeah. am I in pain all the time? Why have I got stomach pains? Why have I got, as you said, breathing issues? Why have I got all these different things going on? Why Why am I the only one who sleeps for like 14 hours? Oh, 
yeah exactly and then all your friends are like how can you sleep for so long you know why are you so tired well i i'm just tired this is how i've always been i've it's, it's been this is my normal mm-hmm. um and yeah, so when somebody actually sits to you, when I had my, my diagnosis, Lauren, I walked out there and I sat there and I cried. Yes. Because it's just, yeah. it's like a bit of a relief in that it's like, a, oh, enormous oh relief. Yes. I, I, you can I actually used... put a name to something. Exactly. I remember very distinctly meeting a friend um, that I had become close with. Like I said, I've met so many people, including you guys. And, you know, I, I mean, I, Fiona, I met you because of the mighty Boosh, not even. <laughs> because of this <laughs> I mean that was Noel Fielding all going on there and then all of a sudden it became wait a minute we have something else in common and it's such a thing to like such a massively more important thing in so many ways and yet it was literally meeting people and one, at one point I my family had driven me out to a friend that I've made um, several miles from us and when we left her house we got into the car and I just started to weep and my daughter and my husband looked at me like, oh, she's doing it again. What is it now? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not like mad. I'm not yeah. lazy. I'm not lazy. I'm not horrible. I'm not wrong. I'm not, I'm not unfulfilled because I didn't want to be. And that's, I think that's what it was. It was like, oh, she could have been something. Well, I am something. Yeah. If you just I mean, tried harder, that type of thing. Oh, if you just tried that a little bit harder. Yes. That, oh, that's my God. Yeah. That was my see, life. Mine, yes. were, mine was slightly opposite in another way because I used to do sport. So I used to do like martial arts and things like this. So I was having issues after surgery, but also I had issues growing up as well with, you know, joint subluxations and dislocations yes. and yes. things like this during your zinc flux during when you were a teenager. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I, I went to saw my rheumatologist who works for one of the EGS charities, I remember at the time... <laughs> I walked in because it was a case of I might be saying goodbye to my career, but also I wanted to know what was going on because all these doctors were going, have you seen this before? You've woken up during surgery and then the tourniquet's ripped off your skin, but yeah, we don't know what to do with you. Oh, and then no. luckily enough, I had an anesthesiate who checked me under uh, GA, which is general anesthetic, and she noticed I was hypermobile under the Bowton score. You mentioned that earlier. And um, I remember going to see this particular rheumatologist and I remember him sitting down going, why are you here? And I'm like, well, maybe you can give me an answer. He goes, what do you do? I said, well, I do martial arts and throw men through tables like this one. And so he looked at me completely perplexed. But when he told me that I had it, I did exactly the same as both of you. It was a relief and you just cry because you're like, I'm not imagining all these things right. going wrong. You know, I'm not imagining all that. I mean, this is way yeah. back in 2016. I had my EGS diagnosis um, before heads came along. Um, yeah. But, you know, from that point, it was like, it was a complete, like, relief to know I had something <laughs> and I had a cause for all the things happening which the doctors couldn't explain. Exactly. You know? I would say as well, if I'm honest, but you both have, mechanical loads jobs where you have um had excessive mechanical loads so you fiona lifting men and throwing them through tables (laughs) quite excessive mechanical loads there and yourself lauren like you you must have been on your feet i take it you did long shifts as a pastry chef oh and you you carried 50 sacks up and down spiral staircases why does 20 kilos yeah 20 20 
I've worked for so long and every single kitchen seemed to have a spiral staircase to carry it up too. It wasn't even just a simple staircase. And but Yeah, it is. It's the loads. And my dad, so my own dad, my dad was a washing machine engineer for years and he mm-hmm. used to carry them from a van. He used to carry them with his hands from a van into people's houses and carry them upstairs to flats and things. Wow. And he's waiting for a double knee replacement, Lauren. Uh, well, tell him I can I can give you some pointers. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely be coming to you when he's at that point. I will seriously because I can I, I after both knees I really do have a lot of advice and there's so many wonderful people out there that you know I mean on I don't use Facebook for a lot of things but I use it for certain mm-hmm. support groups and I got through this knee surgery with the support of people who are just going through the same thing as me. Other places None of them are a very good resource, Lauren, yeah. aren't they? They are because they notice things or they they learn things, have out of manage certain things in sometimes in a better way. Oh, so, without it, I learned way. more in my pain, because one of the pain managements in the uh, early years where they were handing out opiates like they were candy, and then, of course, they they cut you off because they mm-hmm. were told they weren't allowed to give it to you anymore. And it became your fault. It became, you're the addict, you're the needy yeah. one, where they had me on uh, 40 milligrams four times a day of oxycodone. And it was, you know, like I couldn't put two sentences together today. A- and I said, I'm the one that needs to wean myself off it and did. But I kept having to be put back on them for mobility issues. And my current pain management and I have this you know debate and he's like I said he understands this like that I don't want to be on them for any kind of pleasure I want them for function I and and quality is is more important than quantity to me these days I'd rather have years where I can do things with my family than millions of years where I have to sit in my bed because I don't I agree do anything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also I just know, wanted to add you go yeah, no, no, I was just going to say, so we go between the the seriousness of, if I'm not on that, what would I take? And it would be um, ibuprofen products. And is that what you use? Is, it, is that what they're called there? They're not the acetaminophen, they're yeah. ibuprofen. But yeah, those ibuprofen, are yeah, yeah. equally bad for you as they are, right. opioids. <laughs> they burn holes through your stomach and they're sold over the counter. And Again, they're because, a derivative of opiates, basically. Yes. They are. Yeah, well, they're just a derivative. And and so that's, he said, I'd rather you be on the opiates because you need, you know, one of those where you need four of the ibuprofens to function and they will definitely, we know, do will then, Do they then prescribe you PPIs for the gut? No. They don't? No, they don't. Because here, here you fight for everything. I mean, you right, don't, yes. you, you know... Uh, my my husband has been fighting for a drug that was his his PC said this is what you need, and a fellow person that is on our same insurance has the same drug, but they're giving him the runaround for some reason, and it's been two weeks, and it's like if this was important, she wouldn't have prescribed it. So mm-hmm. why is it that we have to like fight when we're paying for quality? We're paying, you know, an enormous amount of my husband's salary goes towards paying our insurance and I have to be medically insured I'm that's one of my biggest fears because I'm unemployed and I'm not on disability because of the fact that I wasn't able to work and then by the time I realized I was disabled enough not to be a baker anymore I don't qualify for disability because I haven't worked in a certain time but I didn't know I was going to be disabled to apply for it yeah and even if you 
can apply for it, they make you testify here and in courts and do videos and make you feel because there are people, it, it all shoots back to people who take advantage. It's the same reason that the people who took advantage of, and, I, and I'm not even talking about people who are prescribed opiates and then had them pulled out away from them and needed to go to other drugs. I'm talking about people who just in the, you know, drug cartels and the people that take advantage of all of the drug scams and the and the insurance scams and the disability scams they make it harder for the people who do things honestly yeah I, I totally agree there there are a lot of people who claim disability who um are not aren't. necessarily as having issues that, that other people do yes i totally yeah. agree with it um, you know. and i mean that's society isn't it that's always going to happen if people you give somebody an inch, they'll try and take a mile. It's the nature True. of society, unfortunately. You know, and, and it's it's a whole other discussion about how America versus the rest of the world treats its ill, both mentally and physically. I mean, because there's, I mean, we could go on for hours about, you know, any of this. Yeah. From the opioids to the fact that, you know, the, we have shootings, you know, every single day in this country that are out of, you know, that, that are now being shifted to... A, a verbiage of instead of the guns being the problem and the access to the guns, that it's mental illness. Now, if, yes, there's mental illness involved, but if they didn't have access to guns, they wouldn't use them. So, you know, other countries look at mental health and mental and health as a right to everyone. And this country, it, it, it's not a, it's a privilege. And that's really the beginning of the problem. The thing is, in, in, in every disease, you'll find when you go to your, your primary care source, first of all, most people are now told that they're depressed, first of oh, all. Oh, yes. And prescribed, prescribed antidepressants as, yes. a, as a standard. Whether you're, and again, people are not necessarily, yes, no. they, may, they, they may have low mood, shall we say, because of, because of factors like nutritional deficiencies, but... Exactly. It, yes, it's looked and at. What's an, it's that, an opioid for the mass is what it yes, really is. It's a placator. So, Yes. It's and and what's so interesting is you said it is that they're not even depressed. I was speaking to someone recently who um, a pulmonologist and we were talking about anxiety and depression. And he said the difference is there's a big A anxiety and a big D depression, and then there's a little D and a little A. And the little the big D and the big A have to be medicated. They're conditions that need therapy and, and help. But most of us have the little ones. And those are the things we need to work through. We need to not be medicated through our anxiety so that we don't deal with the problem. Because most of the time I have found in my life, as hard as it is and as little as I'm able to do it, that if you face the fear and the anxiety head on instead of pushing it farther and farther back, it's, it's actually like easier for your brain and your body to deal with because it's it's relieving as opposed to suppressing oh definitely anybody with adhd i, I mean my set will tell you it's a cycle in adhd in that you put things off and then the cycle becomes harder because your brain's not stimulated enough and you just yes. don't know how to start the task and then the same with anything isn't it once you if you leave something to to fester or to the longer it gets the more stressful it becomes because then you're conscious that you haven't done it. And exactly. And it just becomes, a, again, a perpetual cycle um, of stress. Well, our brain is, is 
so our brain is such a problem solver. One of the things that my dad used to always say was that we, as humans, are different because we when we're never satisfied, and it's both our our you know our curse and our and our best quality, because we push it forward and we find wonderful things like music and art and dance and all the wonderful love and, and expressions we can show. But then there's also this never satisfied part of us and always needing more, more. And we've turned it into a material need. And those things don't make us happy ultimately. As, as much as there are things we do need to survive, we really need very little to thrive. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, we're the same as a plant, basically, Lauren, are we? We need certain elements to survive. Yeah. We need certain nutrients, vitamins. We, we don't need Wi-Fi. Yeah. No. We don't need, do you see what I mean? And we don't need... But we do need Google because that's helpful. <laughs> it, it, has been, it has been very helpful in this situation. I agree. Totally agree with that. It's um, dangerous, I, but it's I actually... I, mean, I couldn't have read the all the spent. books I've read without these days. I the library wouldn't have what I want to read. Yes. The thing I will say is this, and just moving back, Laura, uh, Lauren, there yeah. to like you were talking about the support from the community. Now, when it comes to like support from the community, I think that's why a lot of people go online because they can't find the support or the right networks or pathways in their local area. So they go online for support because that's the yes. only place they can find. And when, yeah. like you say, you've gone for surgeries and things like that. You know, and you want someone that can relate to you that's been through that experience. That's a lot of people in the community themselves. I mean, like, for example, like with me, when I had hip surgery, I'd been to a physio who, you know, said to me, there was nothing wrong with my hip. I went to the surgery and the surgeon had to stand there for half an hour to 45 minutes. And he's got 25 years experience treating EGS um, hip patients. Right. Wow. And he had to stand there and say, was it better to abort to get to give me hip surgeries or was it better for him just to salvage it to give me more years? He decided to salvage it. And I tell you what, that doctor, he saved my hips because yeah. I tell you what, he put it back together. He's given me extra time and I can't fault him for that. And it's crucial as well when you're dealing with surgery, you have somebody that knows about EDS because if they don't know about EDS no. then that's a problem you no. know yeah I, I, I had I, I myself with a neurosurgeon because I've got multiple problems in my spine I've got instability hypermobility in my neck cranial instability yeah I've got yeah. kyphosis I've got um, multiple herniated discs I've got sacroiliitis I've got annular fissure at the bottom aren't we I've lovely got, yeah I've got none. <laughs> however I was, I, I refused. So I went to see a neurosurgeon, right? And I went to see someone. He said that he wanted to operate on my spine. And then I told him I had bone density issues. And he asked me what that was. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, and I thought, wow. you will never take a scalpel to me because there is no way you're going to screw anything into my bone no. if you no. don't even know what the bone composition is and that what happens when you have osteoporosis or osteolysis. Yeah. Like uh, yes. I mean... Danny will tell you this because she saw me on video on this, right? Danny, you remember the gastro guy, yeah? Mm -hmm. So basically, this guy let me out after having, um, you know, type of par partial sedation. So in the middle, like, it was middle pandemic, end of pandemic, right? So right. he let me outside, right? Even though I had sedation and I was breathing in gas and air as well, right? 
and I was just like off my face, quite literally. He was my sister, yeah, we right? We really and this, this was a couple of years ago, like it's about a year, year and a half ago now. And this is before my zinc trial now. But I went out and I remember I was just ringing people, and then I rang Danny, and I just remember just lying in the park and jumping up and down like an angel. So the point being is, oh, we all have weird experiences when it comes to surgeries. I mean, have you had like any weird experiences or unusual oh or positive or negative? Well, I mean, I, you know, part, let's see. Um, the first two surgeries I had, my, my hip surgeries were the most traumatic emotionally because I came out of a place where I thought I had something wrong with my knee and was told I had degenerative bone disease and I had to have both my hips immediately replaced and I was walking on you know uh, uh, bone on bone and I had to check myself into the hospital and I took a big step back because anytime a surgeon is graduated they want to cut that's their job and so I said let me do some research and you know I there wasn't a whole lot on it. And so since then, with every one of my surgeries, they have been such a last resort and the best path because there's been no, um, my jaw is gone on both sides. My, mm -hmm. it's starting to sag on one side and I've had to have teeth removed because um, my jaw clenches and the um, TMJ is so bad because of EDS. And I have no, so I went in to see a, a they're called the maliofacial maxofacial maxofacial yep. surgeon yeah. who was at a, um at a hospital when we went in it was filled with people with all different types of, of facial reconstruction due to cancer and different things and this uh doctor looked at my uh, mri and my husband was there and he said you have no jaw joints there's no doubt about it you are full full avn gone eds all of that gone but let me tell you something. Jaw surgery is not ready for you and you're not ready for jaw surgery. He said, I would do unless your jaw, because it would, it subluxes all the time. And when it would dislocate, I would be able to very, very slowly push it back into shape. It never seized up so that I couldn't, and I had to go to an ER. But he said, if you do need an, end up going to an ER, then I think you have to think about surgery because that means you're going to lock and your quality of life is going to change. But he described mm -hmm. all of the things that the surgery left you with. Now, the surgery is brilliant for people who need it, but it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to realize that I, well, I'd already become my own advocate, but now I needed to be my own advocate for surgery because I was dealing yeah. with a disease that people only knew to change joints with. That's the only thing they knew. Mm -hmm. And so, and physical therapy for me has always been the worst thing because of my, I'm tall and because I stretch so easily. And even with both my hips replaced, I can still put my, you know, not only do cross legs position, but I can put my leg behind my head. I can put my leg up on a full high counter. I don't do it because I'm not an idiot, but <laughs> my flexibility is still all there. And, um, so swimming has really, water has been the only exercise that doesn't cause me to be further impaired. And a lot of this, like I learned more in doctor's offices waiting and speaking to other patients who had either my AVN or my HEDS or EDS or a form of 
connective tissue dis- disorder or had lupus or had different, you know, similarities in symptoms, but mm-hmm. not in diagnosis. And we would sit and talk about the drugs we were given and how we were reacting to them. And like I was taking a drug for a while and I, it'll come back to me because a lot of people still take it. But I would walk into doorways every time. Mm-hmm. And I told this to the doctor. He said, I've never heard of that before. I've never heard anybody say that. Well, in the waiting room, I knew five people who had said the same thing happened to them. So it so, was affecting their proprioception there then. And yes. the, like their autonomic dysfunction. Yeah. Yes, then, exactly. Is, yeah, which is kind of like pot symptoms, which again, yes. I bet you it's on our, li- our list of medications, Fiona, I'm sure. It's pretty sure it's probably on that list, would you say? Yeah, there's, there's 137 medications that deplete zinc. And well, um, the thing yeah. is, is like going back to that there, uh, Lauren, I had one experience on Tramadol. Okay. That's what it was. Yeah, Tramadol. That's what it was. Tramadol. It was Tramadol. Yeah. And yeah. there was, a, I, this was a couple of years ago under my rheumatologist because yes. I had severe issues at the time. This was about, well, just around pandemic, about March 2020, I want to say, around that point. And the weirdest point with me is I was trying to work and um, all of a sudden, I'm not kidding you, I just saw these monkeys and birds flying at me, right? And I okay. jumped under my desk and my work just went to me, right, you either need to go home or you need to talk to your rheumatologist, right? I'm not kidding you. He will quote this to you. Uh, and anyway, so I, I went to his that. office and I said, I need to talk to you. You need to get me off this. I said, this is not going to work. I cannot stand this. Because at the end of the day, every drug has side effects, interactions, which is why people need to speak with their medical physician and they interact with other drugs as well. And he goes, what's the problem? I said, well, I've got monkeys flying at me and (laughs) parrots flying at me. I said, I can't cope. (laughs) And he just just looked at me, smiled, started chuckling. He goes, "Mm, I don't know if I need to fill in the yellow form for this. (laughs) Just get me off it. I don't care about the yellow form. Just get me off of it. get me off the (laughs) drug. Yeah. But this is what I mean when it comes... Drug interactions can deplete can deplete micronutrients such as zinc, which is why it's important. There's, for example, in the UK, they have something called Stockley's and the BNF, which a pharmacist can check or a doctor can check with a pharmacist or they can look in. And when you look at it, you know, there are many interactions of medications and what they can and can't do and symptoms. Right. And if people don't look it up or ask a pharmacist, that's when they go, oh, well, that's not a symptom. But then why didn't you ask the pharmacist to look it up? You know? You know, but, but we know to be our own advocates and I look everything up almost too much because, you know, you're going to hit a point where you have that. See, that's the other discussion I have with people in my pain management and in life is uh, when I talk about quality versus quantity. There are medications that I've learned to take that I know might not be the best for this or that or this. It might cause this or that or this, but they're making my life better. And so those are my choices and I get to make them, not someone else, not my doctor, not my insurance company. So I need to do that work. And I don't, I don't trust the pharmacist. I don't trust, I trust other patients. I trust my pain management now. I trust my surgeons because I make sure that they're aware of it the same way I am. I list my medications again and again and again. I had a reaction after each knee surgery exactly two weeks after the surgery to the date that was yes. a huge 14 welt. days Fiona that that yeah 14 days because certain things happen after surgery mm-hmm. it instantly 
sync, number one. Yeah. Number two, then over the course of certain days, as you become more depleted, certain things change and it actually different things happen at different days. But at day 14, you said you had welts like um, autoimmune, like skin. Yeah? Yes. Yes. Yep. Again, just like they... MCAS. I mean, yes. it was just absolutely. And I had to, the first time they gave me steroids, which I'm not allowed to have, but I had mm -hmm. to because it was starting to hit my breathing. And this time um, mm -hmm. Zyrtec was a, yeah. and, and, and Benadryl together. And it was, it was manageable after a couple of days, but my doctor still doesn't like in her brain, there's something wrong with me. She's never heard of it before. And I was like, I can now cite you 500 different people that I've spoken to who've had knee surgery alone, not just other surgeries and don't even have EDS. And some of them, mm -hmm. that's the things that I want to learn more about are just, just the interactions, have but the you, interactions that specifically years, apply to us. On Over the years, you said that you had a lot of bowel issues. Have you ever been investigated uh, for IBD, like Crohn's or uh, ulcerative colitis? I've had colonoscopies mm -hmm. for, for like I had my first at 50 and I'm actually waiting just now to have my second now that my surgery and I can move around. But um, <clears throat> I have the beginnings of it's not the osis, it's the itis of diverticulitis. Yeah, okay. I have the purging, but I don't have anything worse than that. Um, but I have I know I have IBD. IBD, I, okay. IBD. And my doctor, you, that's the thing I wanted to talk about. Have you had breathing issues as well for years? Oh, I've had chronic. You know, originally, they thought it was chronic bronchitis. But I went okay. to a pulmonologist this year, and I was told I have narrow a narrow airway. Same as me. And, Same as and me as well. You said that to me, Danny. And so that's... Yeah. And you, so I'm um, wondering, again... Have you my, used corticosteroids for years then? Have you used inhalers and things over the years? I, I only use albuterol because it's non-steroidal. Um, Mm -hmm. And because the steroids cause my bones to decompose even faster. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because there is a there's a link, isn't there, between corticosteroids and um, and vascular necrosis? Right, right. And, yeah. and and the problem is that my pulmonologist, who is again brilliant, kept trying me on different things and saying you're going to have to make a decision between steroids and not. And I'm like, not, not, mm -hmm. because if I know that it's not that I'm going to die from the narrow <laughs> it's just inconvenient I'd much rather be inconvenienced going up a hill or you know and, and pant and wheeze a little more and um, that's but see what I wanted to talk to you guys both about and if it's not on this podcast and then obviously on another time but I know Fiona of your family history but Danny I mean I'm now worried not because my father is gone and I know in retrospect that I inherited EDS from him. And genetically, it makes, we were built exactly the same. He had the same, same issues, joint issues, stomach issues, all kinds of issues that were similar over the years. And um, my mother, there's possibilities, but who knows? And she's in her 80s. I'm not going to start having her tested for anything. But my daughter is 27 and she is now starting to hit that second phase where she's presenting differently. She's much more hyperflexible. She has been taking <clears throat> dance and they're noticing that she subluxes in her shoulders and her wrists and her fingers do certain things. So I'm now concerned about what measures I can do to protect her without, you know, knowing that there's any kind of treatment really. Mm -hmm. 
Well, again, we've, I mean, we've been looking at this, aren't we, Fiona? There's a lot of things going on in the background currently that we can't discuss. Um, I get that. And I would love to talk to you at other times. Yeah, you know, we, will, but we will talk to you separately about it. But I mean, from, from our perspective, Fee, a lot of the things that we're looking at are dietary factors. Yeah. Dietary yeah. factors. Dietary factors. factors. That's and, what I thought. And heritage. So we well, he was just diagnosed with, with basically IBS, but IBS-C. Mm-hmm. And but, so she's on a medication for that and drinking peppermint tea and changing her diet drastically. So yeah, yeah the dietary changes again will help. The, I, would, I would say maybe speak to a nutritionalist to make sure that she's getting the right of nutrients in her diet because malnutrition is not just somebody who's really, really skinny. Oh. Marnie no, no, no. is also somebody who, who is, I um, it, oh, yeah. No, it's, I believe it's, it's it's funny because she lives on her own. Yeah. So this is her first time on her own since because the pandemics slowed everything down. And so she's living on her own in another borough. So she's eating differently. She's, you know, a poor student at this point. So, yes, her diet has not nutritionally rounded as it is when she's home. And I and- think that that's when a lot of the stuff started to present itself. And I just want to say some stuff as well. So when you look at heritage, for example, Lauren, okay, yeah. so I think we've talked about in a way. So where my family is affected as such, um, as you know, it's Maltese, so it's from Malta, right. okay? Now, when you look at Malta as a history point, we know in the World War they were severely affected in World War Two, Which they that's had, what we're talking about, right? And the Jews they, yeah. and my family and... And they, yeah, and so you can imagine there's that rationing point, okay? So when we look at things like rationing, world wars, you know, bombs being dropped, there's toxins there, you've also got the nutrition deficiencies because people could only be rationed specific foods. Yeah, food you know? shortages, exactly. basically. Yeah. Food shortages, poor yes. food sources then as well. Everything um, was if it was, yeah. Yeah, poor food sources, uh, not enough of it to go around, fruit, veg, etc. between families. When you look then, Fee said about her heritage, but we spoke previously, didn't we, Lauren, about your heritage. And again, I believe you've got Jewish heritage, haven't you? Eastern European, yeah. Eastern, yeah, so we've got, you've got Eastern European there, so potentially um, there's obviously lots of diseases that are uh, associated with certain heritage groups like Ju- the Jewish community. Because oh, yeah. they're known to have nutritional deficiencies because of uh, of the prisoner of war uh, and camps and the being fed, you know, bread and water, basically. Um, yeah, I which is that it's for yeah. history because I mean, as in history, the Jews moved there, you know, forever, being forced out of places and having to, you know, come up with alternate food sources, and mm-hmm. that's where a lot of their high holidays come from. Yeah, so a lot of nutritional deficiencies there in the heritage, which would have been passed on through the generations. Um, right. Once you've got a deficiency then, um, again, there's a lot of heritage with zinc, actually, in, in the Jewish community. There are a lot of papers to do with uh, Jewish heritage diseases and zinc and the yeah, deficiency might... that it causes. Um, but again, bowel issues are, are one of them. Um, so epigenetically, as far as zinc goes, zinc in a feet in the fetus and a growing fetus, in a, it, I've got papers which um, suggest or, or papers that say deficiency in a mother would cause an issue with the gut instantly. And time. Yeah. Put, well, it makes sense. She mm. did put that on a publication quite a few months ago on her Instagram. Danny did so. 
it yes. is on an Instagram yeah. post from quite a few months ago. And wow. the thing is, when you look at things like that, Lauren, and you start interconnecting things, it's a big yeah. picture here. And it really you, is. And then when you start looking at things like global warming and crops, then you start to understand there's like less type of micronutrients you, in the soil. It, it's just nutrition overall. Yeah, it's totally, Western society totally. diet is, is mainly processed food everything we have is stored for months at a time which means yes. that it's it's it has preservatives or pesticides well, to that's... stop things grains and these are the issues aren't they I... that we're not eating pure food when you look at the difference even in 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 americans diets versus uh, you know you go my husband was just traveling in greece and the food mm -hmm. there was you know not everything was sourced from the earth or the sea or you know yeah. and mm -hmm. and what happens here is even when something like um, impossible meat or whatever kind of you know tofu whatever it's so highly processed mm -hmm. that it negates the nutritional values that you're getting by not eating something that if I... something is locally sourced you get immediately yeah. i read something the other day so in england our, and, and the UK, our chocolate apparently is very, very different to yours. Because, oh, very. Yes, because apparently something is added in your into your chocolate, which makes it quite bitter because it has to be added to the milk because the dairies are so far away from the chocolate factories in the US and it's got to, the milk has to travel. They have uh -huh. to add something to it to make sure that it stays fresh. For a stabilizer. Yes, so your chocolate's and different to ours, and well, apparently tastes very, very bitter compared to ours. I can say. What do you think you should say that, Jenny? Because it's 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 a, been my entire life as an Anglophile, uh, my love of British sweets, and the biggest thing has been anyone who's ever gone to bring home chocolate because your Cadbury and our Cadbury were different. Your, you know, mm -hmm. everything was, and I and explaining that to people because I had been in England as a child and had sweets from not just there but all over Europe that it tasted different here and it was bitter unless it was made by like we have lovely little local chocolatiers mm -hmm. and it's just a, it's a totally different being you don't and get then, it. if you think about it this way Lauren so everyone depending what state they're in the US depending what country they're in they have different things they eat i.e processed food yeah. or additives or Stabilizer and it dependent on the law of each and individual countries. Yes. So when you look at it, it's quite a spectrum. So when you think of things like EDS as a spectrum, yeah, mm -hmm. and yeah. how everybody differs so much. In their EDS, yes. Yeah. Then you start to look at this and you think, the, hang on a minute. Yep. So, yep. you know, someone in New York will eat a lot differently to probably other people in Miami, Florida, or Greece, or you know, for example, France or the UK. And when you start looking at the picture as a wider scale, you start to see bigger correlations here, you know? Right. Well, I mean, as you were saying that, it clicked in my head that, of course, with all of the different, how everybody with EDS is different. And then you say, well, of course they are, because we all eat such different things and we take different medications and we are mm -hmm. different stress levels and different other under correlating illnesses which everyone seems to have either because of or as a byproduct of eds or something that ended up mm -hmm. pausing and i don't know you know I, it's so hard but once you start to look at the whole world you see it and you see the reason behind it and that's very true very yeah. true. 
and, and, and the one thing we all have in common is is the food here and one of the biggest things that they found um in in the eds charities and all the research is gut issues now yeah, yeah if that's you everyone then, it is it is and again if you think then most people um have issues with grain and gluten and you worked as a pastry chef i'm yeah. sure then and you, dairy you, the two. and dairy there you go and the two things both of those things so gliadin in gluten um mm-hmm. actually it's the gliadin that depletes the zinc it complexes with it in the gut and then in milk is actually the lactase. Lactase, yeah. Yeah. It, it's, no, that it's, I know. Yeah, and again, it complexes with the zinc in the gut, so it, which hinders the absorption of zinc, both of those things, because they complex in the gut. And phytates, phytases are found in many things, actually, um, like grains, for a start. Yeah, they can, be, they can mill so much of it out, but mm-hmm. they can't mill all of it. They can't no. mill it all out. Um, so obviously it's still there. Um, phytases are also actually found in certain breeds. There's like iceberg lettuce, I think, contains phytates. Spinach, huh. spinach contains phytates. So, yes, they may contain other properties. This is the point about all foods. When they market foods, they say oh, it contains vitamin C. Yes. Yeah. But what they right. don't say is actually some of these nutrients compete for absorption with other things. So, um, oh. if if spinach cont- spinach contains phytates and phytases, then actually it would hinder the absorption of zinc in the diet it would make it it's called bioavailability in the gut well it makes it unavailable so you can't absorb it and unfortunately there are so many things that are very very common in western diet and medications yes and i think also we need to also say when it comes to zinc danny there's there's many (laughs) environmental factors as well yes to say that yeah, and, you know, stress, when... stress is one of them, definitely. Just just stress on its own. So if you live and in a stressful environment... Um, who doesn't? Timing, and that's the thing. Yeah, you know? who doesn't? Exactly these days, who doesn't live in a stressful environment? And if you had an even worse, so um, like childhood traumas, for example... Who doesn't? Is, exactly. <laughs> Again, but it imprints into the child because yeah. it causes deficiencies. That's what it imprints. It instantly yeah. depletes certain nutrients. And then going forward... I don't know if people are aware in the community. A lot of people are also B12 deficient in the community. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think they're actually more familiar with B12 deficiency. Yes. Yeah. And they well, get actually, for that. And it they... takes four years to become B12 deficient. Three to four years. Wow. Years. Yeah. And again, so that also tells me that you would, that, that de- that's when the stores become depleted. Surely yeah. then you've got to build those stores back up too before you get back to the body working at a certain standard of where it should be. But it just goes to show how critical things are when it comes mm-hmm. to nutrients, micronutrients, and getting the right balance the right of levels. Yeah. You know, because it's critical, and I think there needs to definitely be a re-education because a lot of people don't know where to get the micronutrients from, and they don't know where mm-hmm. to get the vitamins from. They don't. We're not taught it at school. Um, you know, when it comes to medical point, um, even if you try and get a dietitian over here, it's two-year wait. Yeah, um, so people don't here you're just told to take another pill, though. Yeah. Here you're just told well, to take a, I, another vitamin. I was, given, I was given a diet plan. Fiona, do you remember the diet plan I was given yeah. from the dietary service here? It was absolutely shocking. It was just full of processed foods, basically. Yeah. It told it told me to eat sausage rolls, pasties, pie. Oh my goodness. Um, double cream, high fat cream. It told me to eat like a high fat, high carb diet, basically. Um, to try and, the, and gain on what weight. What basis, though? I mean, because what was the founder? Um, because I've had a bowel rupture and I've had, I struggle to gain weight. 
um, because I so they tried to told me to eat processed foods but what they failed to realize is actually I wouldn't even process them anyway because I if I can't absorb the other nutrients what makes them think I'm going to absorb those things properly as well um no so it's, I, it's so interesting yeah. though because I mean here it's it's about another pill you give, mm-hmm. They give you vitamins and oh, yes. <clears throat> vitamins are the, my mother has very, uh, been very proactive in taking vitamins her whole life. And it's sort of a, <clears throat> a fight between us, the, not a fight fight, but because I take, I, I, I need something, I try to always get it in the food source first. But yeah. again, you can't just eat a whole load of spinach because you want the vitamin C or the iron that mm-hmm. you're supposed to get because you still are, are you leaching yourself out of something else and you're on a medication that you're not supposed to have that much spinach. So, I mean, it's it's so complicated that people resort right. to just taking the pill here. And I just, you know, know that that's never the way to do it. You have to take the time to see how it, everything interacts for your body. I mean, it's like not brain surgery to know that if you eat, like, I, if I eat any, and I, as a pastry chef, I have a craving for sugar. Um, if I go into a, great place or anything it's like i'm looking at the dessert menu i will eat the food but i'm looking at the dessert menu it's all for research purposes it's not for pleasure whatsoever what can i say but <laughs> but um it, yeah right but I, I dessert and it's i was it's a reward at the end of the day but i know that if i eat sugar past eight o'clock at night even that's pushing it i know i'm going to have problems in the night i know my stomach is going to react to it so how many times do i have to have that happen before i don't do it well a a lot too much to be proud of but i did learn my lesson and Mm. i think what we need to like take the cues on is what our bodies are telling us i weighed a lot more and i had weight issues my whole life and when i started to have my surgeries my hips replaced i had to lose weight and for myself and I lost quite a bit of weight. I lost over 80 pounds. And I know that's, I'm not going to translate to stone for you because then no, I was well ridiculous. But it was quite half my weight. Yeah. And um, I, I basically didn't do anything but listen to my body for the first time in my life. And I ate sweets when my body said, no, that's what you really want. It's not just you're eating that because you're bored. You just really want that. And you want to taste it and you don't have to eat the whole thing or you can order the thing that has the thing, but know that have a bite of it and it's okay not to finish your plate of food. So you have to like learn with the same thing with what the nutrients are, not the weight, but the nutrients are. What mm-hmm. is it my body's telling me? When I was ill, Lauren, when I ran ill, I crave liver and I mm. crave eggs Interesting. And I have since I was a child. I crave liver, chicken liver, and calf's liver. liver. Yeah. Now again, liver is very high in zinc content. So, but yeah, I mean, we we'll talk again, Lauren, separately, okay. as, you know, like we have, and we'll talk about your, your daughter, and we'll talk about the diet. Okay, definitely, definitely. It's both of you. It's, but, I mean, Fiona, you're you're one kind of wonderful, and Danny, you're another kind of wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know you're thinking that's really funny, but it is true. It is true because there's just an energy that comes out of both of you that that just is so attractive and so. Uh, you feel that I'm. I, I feel like I'm learning, listening to both of you, but in in a in a 
wonderful way, not in a sitting here listening to dry information. It's relative, it's, it's relatable, it's informative. And so, you know, it's just such a pleasure to get to talk to you guys. No, and do you know what? We we love talking to you and, you know, it's been amazing talking to you today. But, you know, you're fantastic as well in your own way. Everyone's special in their own way, Lauren, do you know what I mean? But me and Danny just want to help the community and be transparent as much as possible. You know, we don't have any conflicts of interest. We are there to help, you know, give the correct information that's out there. Which and is we draw from peer-reviewed publications. And we yeah. Put, yeah, we draw off our own experiences. And, we and that's a lot of people like you, Lauren. Yeah, we speak yeah. a lot of people like you. Thank you. So, um, so I have a final question for you, Lauren, to round this up. Okay. Okay. Not So I should do a drum roll like this on the table, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's just pathetic. a fake drum roll. <laughs> that, was a pathetic, that was a pathetic drum roll. Okay, let's try again. My Not phone nearly fell off the table. But okay. <laughs> um, so what is your hopes for EGS in the future? What is my what? what are your hopes for EGS patients uh, in the future? Well, I mean, simplified. It's um that it's brought to the forefront as much as possible. I, I love the fact that we're hearing about more and more. Uh, so I hate the word celebrities, but people who have it. So it's bringing it to the forefront of people's minds because mm-hmm. I think there are so many more people that have this form of connective tissue disorder than are even thinking they do. And I think this could help them. Nor- I, I want people to be helped and, and learn about this disease and how it is so prevalent and that um, we're special people because we're zebras and because we're different, we have a lot to share and give. And I think we all seem to feel a real need to share and give back to the other zebras out there. Mm-hmm. And so my hopes is that continues and, and all of the organizations and Laura and, and all of those, the people at, at you know, LU's Down Law Society, they just, they just wanted to get more attention because I don't know that there's going to be a, a cure per se, but the information and, and diagnosis for people who are feeling so lost like we did, um, it, it gives them a second chance. It gives them a path they can follow because everybody is different and everybody's got to do it differently. But once you know, the, it's like learning art and learning music and learning anything you need, or being a doctor. You need to go to the basics first. So we need to yeah. know the basics of this thing so that we know how to take it from there. And the final question is, where do you want to see improvements with EDS? Improvement with EDS? Well, I'd like it to go away. Um, (laughs) If possible, just quickly, quietly exit the building. Um, I would like, again, for the awareness of the medical community to be much more forgiving and aware to the people who are going through surgeries, who are going through treatments, who are going through the other side effects like the MCAS and the POTS and all of those things that we are going through and treating them like seriously, like not like we're complainers with nothing behind our complaints. So I I just like to be taken seriously about this. So less gaslighting then. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. A whole lot less gaslighting. Uh, so, yeah. no, I'm, I think everyone's had the gaslighting. I think 
in the medical world, it's actually called the paternalistic method. That's what they're taught in medical school. So rather than gaslighting, it's classed as the paternalistic method. Um, So a lot of people don't know that. When doctors have used that on me, I've said, please don't use the paternalistic method on me, and then they go quiet. Yeah. Um, well, so it's something I don't to think learn. Any chance to go quiet, but um, you know, <laughs> I, that's no. no. raising our voices. But I just wanted to say, Lauren, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on. You can always send me and Danny DM. You know, we oh, talk to you, and you know, we're open there to talk to you. And we always say that to the EGS community and those that listen to our podcast or are part of our podcast. We are open there to talk, you know, don't feel alone. And um, I feel I, like people should know that if they want to get in touch with me, I'm out there on social media. Like I said, please feel free if you've got questions to DM me. And, you know, that's the point. We're here for each other. That's the way we get through this. Totally, Lauren. And that's how we get through as a community. And that's how we learn and create correlations as well. So I'm just going to say to our listeners, um, as you know, our podcast is for information only and to please speak to your registered medical professional in regards to medical advice. And thank you very much, Lauren. And thank you, guys. I hope that you have a lovely evening and thanks for coming on. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.